0: The reading is Mark eight twenty seven through 9, 1. <clears throat> and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes into, in the glory of, of his father with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, this beautiful word that we've just read. And we ask now as we reflect on it for the next few minutes that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey, that we might see Jesus. Jesus says, the King who is high and lifted up, in his name we pray. Amen. My wife and I have owned four different homes, and in each of those homes we've done big house projects. And the first home that we owned was when we were living in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it was our biggest house project to date. We went in and we took down four walls. We took up the kitchen floor, all the kitchen cabinets, took everything down to the studs in the kitchen in order to redo the kitchen. And I did 90, 95% of the work on my own. There's a few times where I needed a little bit of help with some friends or from some friends. And we were getting down to the end where I had painted everything. Everything was back in order. We were reusing it. And the last thing to go up was the crown molding. And I'd never done crown molding before. So I got out my saw and I made a cut and I put it up there and it didn't work so I did it again and it didn't work construction projects for me are like that old Billy Joel song things I did not know at first I learned by doing twice (laughs) and in certain instances three and four times and I discovered that night that putting up crown molding requires you to do it upside down and backwards upside down and backwards and that's a hard thing to do it's hard to cut something that you're putting up, upside down, and backwards. Well, friends, so much of life is upside down and backwards. And we struggle in life so much because we think that life is right side up and frontwards. We think that in our relationships, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our businesses, And oftentimes when we're confronted with the reality that life is upside down and backwards, we get frustrated, we get angry, we get discouraged, we get depressed. We say, this isn't how life is supposed to be. I can't figure it out. And we need to remind ourselves that life so often is upside down and backwards. Life is this way, friends, especially as it relates to being a Christian. Christianity is upside down and backwards. Some of of us here this morning have been Christians for a long time, and and we, we know this, and we're learning this, relearning this over and over again. Some of us are really struggling to be Christians. We're not quite sure why we're here this morning. We don't really understand that Christianity is upside down and backwards. And some of us are just exploring uh, what it means to be a Christian. And the good news to you is that in the early stages of your exploration, remember all the time that Christianity is upside down and backwards. But we all struggle with this, and it's not new or unique to us. This is what the early disciples struggled with when Jesus was right with them. This is what the disciples in Mark struggled with over and over and over again. This is the struggle of our passage. This is Peter's struggle. He doesn't get Jesus. He can't figure Jesus out. And in the text that we read this morning, we have this shocking pendulum swing of Peter saying to Jesus you're the Christ I understand who you are I know you and in other gospel accounts Jesus responds and says to Peter Peter flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you my Heavenly Father's shown this to you and in that conversation to just a few minutes later Jesus saying to Peter get behind me Satan What you've just said of me is satanic. It's from the pit of hell, Peter. How in the world can Peter go from confessing the Christ to having Jesus confess over him that he is Satan? We don't understand that. We don't get that. What happened? Peter forgot that Jesus and Jesus' kingdom is upside down and backwards. And so do we. And so let's take a look at that this morning and we're gonna look at three things briefly together. We're gonna look at the upside down kingdom, the backwards king, and then life in this topsy-turvy kingdom. First, the upside down kingdom. The gospel of Mark was likely written in Rome, to a largely Roman audience. Mark is different than the other Gospel writers. Mark doesn't explain the more Roman cultural icons, rather he explains the Jewish customs and the Jewish practices. Mark was probably written uh, by John Mark as a companion of Peter. And so much of Mark is through the, the lens and through the perspective of Peter. And Mark being written in Rome to a Roman context gives us a sense of what Mark is really trying to do for us. And he's trying to compare and contrast Jesus' kingship and Jesus' kingdom to the kings of Rome and the kingdom of Rome. And so first, let's just take a few minutes to think about Rome as a kingdom. Rome was built on certain principles, just like any other kingdom was built on certain principles. Rome had several that marked their life together. Rome had the principle of power. Rome was a powerful kingdom, the most powerful kingdom up to this point in the history of civilization. And Rome was brutal in how they enforced that power. You can read in the annals of history of how the Romans ar- Roman armies would go in and just brutally conquest or uh, conquer people you can read about their conquests. Rome was a kingdom that was built on power. And when the Roman armies, when the Roman legions would come into a place, come into a territory, Rome wanted you to fear them. Rome wanted you to know that they were in charge, that they had the power. So Rome was built on a principle of power. Rome was also built on a principle of servitude. That if you were conquered by the Romans that you became their servants, you became their slaves, they became your master. And whatever they asked you to do, you had to do it or else they would enforce their power over you. So these conquered people would build Roman roads. They'd build Roman temples. They'd build Roman aqueducts. They would build up the Roman economy and Roman cities. And Rome did this well. Rome did this beautifully. We can go still see cities that Rome built today. And in this principle of servitude, what Rome would often do to the leaders as they would enter into place is to say, Hey, if you sell out to your people, and if you just do what we say, we'll make you king in your place. And that's how somebody like Herod became king of Israel. Herod was a leader in Israel that sold out to the Romans and said, sure, I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll lead my people in the way that you want me to lead my people. As well, Rome had a principle of gloating. When Rome would go and conquer a people, they would often allow those people to keep their customs, to keep certain practices, but only to an extent. Because they wanted to ensure that you would know that Rome was in charge and that you were Rome's servants. So, for example, in the temple that Herod built, this greatest building project of Herod and of Israel in the day, as they finished the temple... Do you know what they put up over the entrance to the temple? A Roman eagle. How absurd. What gloating that Rome was doing here, saying, as you guys enter to worship your God, we want to remind you every single time that you enter through these gates, that you do so under Rome's eagle, under our symbol of power, under our symbol of strength. And then also, Rome had a principle of dominance. That any challenge to Rome's authority, that any act of rebellion, would be immediately squashed by Rome and by her leaders. It must be squashed. It must be defeated. It must be dealt with. Because Rome had to know that they were in charge. They had to communicate in powerful ways, we're the gods here. We're the lords here. We are the power here. And so, for example, there were some Jews living during Herod's time that pulled down that eagle and said, we don't want to enter into our place of worship under your eagle. And So they took that eagle down and immediately those men were killed and executed on the spot. Rome's kingdom, friends, was all about the sword. It was all about power. It was all about dominance. Jesus comes and Jesus says, friends, the kingdom is here. The kingdom has arrived. And his friends and his disciples failed to realize that he was announcing an upside down kingdom. A kingdom that was utterly different than the way that Rome had built her kingdom. He was announcing the kingdom of God is here and here are the principles that the kingdom of God is built upon. A principle of Service. Mark's gospel throughout is all about service, all about Jesus serving others, Jesus calling his disciples to serve others, Jesus reminding his people that if they want to be great in his kingdom, they have to be servants of all. As you read through the gospel of Mark, you'll read encounters of the disciples arguing and the disciples fighting and saying, Who's going to be greatest in your kingdom? Where am I going to sit in your kingdom, Lord? Am I going to be to the right of your throne or am I going to be to the left of your throne? And Jesus says, that's really not up to me to decide. But if you want to be in my kingdom, you have to become a servant of all. You don't understand what my kingdom is about. And all of these stories in Mark's gospel show us that God's kingdom is a kingdom of service. There's no hierarchy. In Paul's letters we read that Paul entered into a place, entered into a ministry, wrote to these churches, often opening his letters with saying, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Reminding himself and reminding all those who would read his letters that to belong to Jesus, to belong to his kingdom, is to be part of a kingdom that serves. You see, when you're a servant, there's nobody uh, above you Uh, or excuse me there's nobody below you everybody's above you a servant says you're above me you're better than me I'm here to serve you I'm here to bless you I'm here to love you I'm here to give my life for you rather than to receive things from you and so Christ's kingdom is all about service learning how to become a servant of all as well Christ's kingdom is built on the principle of giving of a gift economy. We see generosity and sharing throughout the Gospels, and especially in the Gospel of Mark. Rome wasn't built on a gift economy. Rome wasn't built on the principle of sharing, the principle of giving. It was said of the Romans that they were very free with their bodies. They'd do anything with their bodies, almost with anybody. They didn't have very Uh, sharp uh, lines in which they would draw in terms of what they would do with their bodies, when they would do things with their bodies, and who they would do things with their bodies. And it's said of the Romans that they were very frugal with their money, that they were very frugal with their resources. They didn't give to the poor. If you lived in Rome and you wanted to give something away, if you had extra to give, you would give to the city. You would give to these civic organizations in order to build these uh institutional symbols in the city and your name might be attached to that great civic project but the kingdom of god is about giving to the poor it's about giving to the needy it's about giving to those who don't have anything rather than giving just to build a civic project and christians and christianity proclaimed a message where people were very frugal with their bodies They kept covenants together. They weren't free with their bodies. They weren't loose with their bodies. They were frugal with their bodies. They practiced chastity. They practiced purity. But they were very free with their money. They shared. They gave. They sacrificed. They loved the poor. If they had extra, they said, I don't want my name necessarily attached to a building project. I want my name given to those who have need in our community, who don't have food today. They loved the poor. As well, Christ's kingdom is the principle of humility. Rome and her leaders were proud. They had great hubris attached to their story. It was a story of the strong men. It was a story of the strong surviving. And life in God's kingdom was all about babies. It was all about children. In Mark's gospel, there's an encounter where uh, the disciples are saying, get these kids away from us. These kids are loud. These kids are noisy. These kids are bothersome. And Jesus says, you guys don't get it. Unless you become like a little child, you can't enter into my kingdom. Bring these kids here because we have so much more to learn from these kids than we could ever teach them. Because God's kingdom is about babies. Babies. It's about children. It's about humility. It's about learning how to become a child over and over again. And then finally, life in God's kingdom is built on the principle of love. Greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. And Peter and the rest of the disciples didn't understand what Jesus' kingdom was about. When Jesus told them these words, that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to enter into Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, Peter or says, Jesus, this isn't going to happen this way. I'm rebuking you. You don't know your own story, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus says so shockingly to Peter, get behind me, Satan, it's you don't know what you're talking about Peter and the disciples they refuse to understand what Jesus is actually doing they think that Jesus is just like any other King they think that life in his kingdom is just like any other Empire they think that it's about power that they they think it's about dominance they think it's about independence they think that Jesus has come to defeat the Romans that jesus has come to make israel great again that jesus is going to be seated on david's throne and jesus is going to get these romans out of israel and they're going to have their independence back and they didn't know that jesus kingdom was an upside down kingdom an utterly different type of kingdom that they expected because they didn't know this, they didn't know that Jesus was an utterly different kind of king, that he was a backwards king. When Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one that we've been waiting for, Peter thought that he was going to be very similar to these other kings, that he was going to be a strong man, that he was going to be a conquering man. That he was going to be a man who was going to uh, execute or, or exercise his authority with great power. What Peter had done, what other leaders in Israel had done, is they had turned the idea of a king into an idol. And they had made a king in their own image. They had attached certain characteristics and certain qualities and certain aspirations to a king that they wanted. And Jesus comes to them and says, You guys don't get it. You've made a king into your own likeness, into your own image. And that's not the type of king that I am. I'm not a Messiah who's about building up a military. I'm not a Messiah who's about building up your economy. I'm not a Messiah who's about building up a particular social order. And the disciples looked at Jesus. And they looked at these miracles, they looked at his power, they looked at his authority, and they said, as it were, with Jesus around, we can finally defeat the Romans. He's strong enough, he's our man, he can do it. He has what it takes to defeat Caesar, and we want to jump on this bandwagon. And Jesus says to them, that's satanic. That's from the pit of hell. That's not the type of king that I am. I'm a king that has come to die. I'm a king that has come to show my love through my sacrifice. I'm a king that's gonna submit myself to the shame and the power and the disgrace of Rome. I'm gonna ascend one of Rome's crosses and I'm gonna die with these humiliating words over my head, these words that are meant to uh, disdain me, these words that are meant to uh, humiliate me. Here is Jesus, King of the Jews. Because that's what the Romans did to any king that they thought was trying to take control of them. They put him on crosses and they said, no, we have the power. And Jesus is teaching them that he is an utterly different type of king. A king who is going to serve. A king who is going to die. A king who is going to give his very life for his people. And that it's this sacrifice that is going to undo all the other kings and all the other kingdoms of the world. Jesus is going to take up his cross. Jesus is going to become a living sacrifice And Jesus says, if you want to know me, and if you want to follow me, and if you want to be part of this kingdom, you're going to have to learn that my kingdom is a cruciform kingdom. That I'm a cruciform king. That I came into this world to die. I came into this world to serve. I came into this world to give. I came into this world to share my life. And if you want to know me as a king, and if you want to be part of my kingdom, then you're going to have to give up other thoughts that you have of me. You're going to have to give up other ideas that you have of me. You're going to have to give up the own image that you've made of me in your own minds. And you're going to have to learn who I am, anew and afresh. And if you want to follow me, you're going to have to live a cruciform life yourself. So how do we do that? How do we live in God's kingdom? How do we follow our backwards king? Well, just a few thoughts. First, you have to see yourself as a servant. You have to see yourself as a servant. You're never gonna get Jesus, you're never gonna get Christianity, you're never gonna get life in God's kingdom if you don't see yourself as a servant. That's what Mark calls us to over and over and over again in his gospel. You must become a servant in your home, in your work, at your school, on your team. Friends, there's no one lower than a servant. A servant looks up to everybody. And there's no one more beautiful than a servant. If you've been around true servants, it's amazing. Because they're there to give themselves to you they're there to say how can i love you how can i care for you what can i do to express my love and devotion for you and we're not very good at this because we haven't discipled ourselves in jesus kingdom very well let me give an example of how i failed this week i thought i was serving my family pretty well my wife was out all day uh, she was she was working and she was busy with the kids and she asked me to cook dinner and i was patting myself on the back because i made a pretty awesome dinner And i came home and she came home and everything was ready and we had a fun meal together as a family we did our family routines of sharing about our day sharing highs and lows and then she said you know i'm just so tired from this day uh, i need to get some rest i need to go to bed And then something clicked in me that was pretty ugly. I became angry. And I started to think, you know what? I've been working all day just like you've been working all day. I've been seeking to serve this family all day just like you have. And I've gone above and beyond what uh, I normally do here. And I've cooked this meal and it would be nice for us all to clean it up together. But she went off to bed and the kids went off to go do their homework. And so I sat on the couch stewing. And the dishes didn't get done that night and so what happened we woke up in the morning to some dirty dishes and robin said i'm not doing them and uh it wasn't until later that afternoon when i got home from work that i ended up cleaning up those dishes that i would promised that i was going to do anyways but i did it because i didn't see myself as a servant i didn't do those dishes the night before because i forgot that i was a servant and we do as well all the time Oftentimes we think, I've served enough already today. I've given of myself enough already today. And I just want to rest and I just want to relax. And life in Jesus' kingdom calls us to be servants over and over and over again. It calls us to look to our serving King who gave up his very life for us, who continually gives himself to us to make us servants in his world. So life in Jesus' kingdom is all about becoming a servant. and That's hard for us. Secondly, you have to see yourself as a child. And this is hard as well. Most of us are adults here. And we've forgotten childhood. Most of us aren't very good at remembering what childhood is all about. Children are joyful. Children are angry. Children are happy. Children are hopeful yesterday i was invited to a crystal ball i've never been to a crystal ball before and i never knew that i wanted to go to a crystal ball and it was amazing there were about 50 first graders even some of them are uh, have, uh, parents uh, in this room fifty first graders lined up all beautiful in their gowns they were all in this line standing there so patiently to have their names called and to let us know a little bit about their story, about what they liked at school, about what they liked in their home, about some of their dreams, some of their adventures. And we as adults laughed. We as adults clapped. We as adults entered into their stories, and we were shaped by their joy, and their hope, and their love. And that's something that I forget. And I have to go to a crystal ball to remember that life in God's kingdom is about being a child. It's about being a child over and over and over again. We grow old, but our God is eternally young. Adults get angry. Adults get discouraged. Adults look at the life, their lives, and they get overwhelmed. Children, they're forgetful. They're hopeful. They're joyful they forgive and life in God's kingdom is about being a child and learning how to be a child over and over again and third and finally life in God's kingdom is about being united to Jesus it's about being united to Jesus Peter in Mark's gospel is the one that makes more mistakes than any other disciples and we see that in our text he confesses you're the Christ and the next conversation, he said, you're Satan. And at the end of Mark's gospel, in the Great Commission, there's something so beautiful. Jesus tells his disciples, go and announce the good news that I've been raised to the de- from the dead. Go tell this to my disciples and Peter. And that's so beautiful, and it's so encouraging. Because life in the upside-down kingdom life of following this backwards king is all about being united to him it's not about our obedience it's not about how well we understand jesus how well we get him at the end of the day it's about belonging to jesus as broken as we are as sinful as we are as messed up as we are as much as we don't get him jesus gets us And Jesus always has words of grace, words of love, words of comfort for us and for Peter. We can't do anything apart from him. Only Jesus gives us the strength, gives us the wisdom, gives us the ability to live this type of life, this cruciform life, this life of living in an upside down king and following uh, our backwards, or uh, upside down kingdom and following our backwards king. And life in Jesus is so beautiful because he loves us and he cares for us. He has compassion on us. He has mercy upon us. And friends, if you belong to Jesus, then you are united to him. And he loves you. And you're secure in him. And you can follow him wherever he's leading you. And it may be down a very difficult path right now. It may be down a path that you never, ever, ever wanted to walk. And the good news of following your king down that path is that he's been there. He knows. He's walked a path that was difficult for him. He walked a path that was hard for him to endure. He submitted himself to the power of Rome, to the shame of Rome, to one of Rome's crosses, and he was victorious over it. And you can submit yourself to whatever path he's entrusted to you now, whether that's a beautiful and a joyful path or whether it's a dark and a lonely path, because he is with you and he loves you and he cares for you. And as you submit to him by faith, what happens is you're transformed. You become more like him And his life breaks out into the world. You see, what happened in the early church is just a few centuries after the death of Jesus, after Rome had pronounced his victory over Jesus by putting him on one of their crosses, just a few centuries later, Roman emperors were baptized. Roman emperors built churches. Roman emperors put the sign of the cross on their shields. And said, We want to become like the Christians. Because what had happened in those ensuing generations uh, uh, following the death of Jesus is that Christians began to live cruciform lives. They began to adopt unwanted babies, they began to feed the poor, they began to build hospitals, they began to care for the sick. And the Romans said, We want in on this story. This is a better story than the one we're telling. We want to get on board with this Jesus. We want to be part of his kingdom. We want to submit ourselves to him as our king. And so a Roman Empire emperor became a Christian, unheard of, shocking, that he would say, I want to be part of this upside down king and follow this backwards king. And friends, the same is true for us as well. We can look out in our world and we can say, oh my goodness, it's so broken. There's so much pain. There's so many trials. There's so many burdens. Christians aren't aren't honored. Christians don't have places in society where society looks to us and says, we want in on your wisdom. We want to know you. We want to become like you. And friends, this is an opportunity for us as a people of God, just like it was an opportunity for these early followers of Christ. To do what we just read, to live cruciform lives, to give up themselves and become servants, to feed the hungry, to care for the sick, to adopt orphans. And when we live this type of life, God's life gets unleashed in his world, and God does amazing things in and through us. And so may we seek to embody this passage in Mark. May we seek to live out what Jesus calls us to do, to take up our crosses, to live cruciform lives for him, knowing that he's already done that for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the good news of the gospel, that you have given to us an upside-down kingdom, and you've given to us a backwards king. We confess that life in this kingdom and life following this king is hard. And we're thankful for words in the Gospel of Mark that give us so much hope and give us so much life. And Lord, we pray today that we would follow after you. That we would learn over and over again how to deny ourselves how to take up our crosses. That we wouldn't seek to save our own lives but lose it. And that we would do this in countless creative ways as we do the dishes, as we fold laundry, as we teach children, as we write emails, as we work on Excel spreadsheets. That we wouldn't seek our own gain but that we would seek the gain of others, that we would seek your gain, your glory, your greatness. And Lord, we pray that you do a work through your spirit in your church, in this church, in our lives, a similar work that you've done all throughout history, when your people get caught up into your story and when you, your people begin to live for you in so many beautiful ways.